Hey y'all, welcome to the second interstitial episode of the Future Barn Podcast. These are um, every other month-ish episodes where I just take a breather from the conversations uh, that I'm having and kind of collect myself and kind of uh, reconfigure uh, what we're doing here on this podcast. And so in these we do things like there's some trivia, um, there's some uh, recommendations. I'll read uh, from either a work about Wilkie or by Wilkie um, in honor of him. And then there's a section called Glitching where I model some rational thinking that I'm doing uh, that feels like it helps me move through the world um, about a certain topic. And then we'll end with a poem selected by me um, and read by me uh, here on the podcast. And then if there are any voice me- messages left, then we'll uh, I'll address those as well in these. That's, so that's basically how these work. In this one, I'm really excited um, about kind of the things I've collected here um, in this moment as we head into this very important and uh, very divide, uh, divided presidential election. Uh, I think it's really important for us to remember um, the things that we're putting into our body, the thoughts and the uh, and the sensory things and all everything we're, and everything we're learning and everything we're uh, that's coming in. And then, but also we need to be really mindful of the way that we uh, process those things and send it back out into the world. Um, so here's hoping to do to all of us doing that a little better um, whenever we can. Uh, so thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting the podcast. Be sure to follow um, on whatever podcast catcher uh, you're on. A uh, couple quick thank yous. Uh, thank you. I recently started a Patreon page that will help support my own writing work, but also this podcast. And so thank you, Josh Caldwell and Heather Collier for being the first two to kind of jump on that. Um, so I appreciate, appreciate that support. And then also, um, shout out to Creeping Pink, uh, which is, uh, Elwood native Landon Caldwell's, um, band and their song free yourself. Uh, I use on the anchor page, uh, as our theme song. So, uh, it's great to have that and go support Creeping Pink and all of Landon's various uh, wonderful musical endeavors. So thank you again, everyone, for their support. And, you know, this is now the 11th episode. I'm looking forward to many of tens and tens of more. Uh, that's probably not how you say that, but you know what I mean. Uh, so I uh, hope everyone has a wonderful week. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Welcome to some trivia. This uh, episode's trivia is going to be about mayors of Elwood. First question. Who is the current mayor of Elwood? Number two. Who is the first mayor of Elwood? Question number three. What was the yearly salary of that first mayor? Number four. What... Mayor of Elwood 
was a contestant on the Hoosier and a winner on the Hoosier Millionaire. Question number five. Was Wendell Wilkie ever mayor of Elwood? Here's the answers. Our current mayor is Todd Jones. The first mayor of Elwood was William A. DeHority. Number three, his salary was $250 a year. Denny Robinson was the Elwood mayor who was a winner on the Hoosier Millionaire. And no, Wendell Wilkie was never mayor of Elwood, sadly. All right, welcome to More Rex, More Rex. Um, and so here's some things that I have been um, taking in that I think y'all might enjoy as well. Um, I re- recently found a used copy of Chuck Klosterman's book, What If We're Wrong, um, and reread that. And in the second uh, reading of that, um, was even more enlightened than I was before. I just always appreciate Chuck's um Thinking the way he thinks through things, even absurd scenarios or seemingly uh, unimportant uh, pop cultural things, he um, ethically and logically takes uh, all of life very seriously. And I think that's a good example um, for a lot of us in the way um, we're learning, we're constantly and continually learning how to perceive in the world and the process in the world. Um, so yeah, this book, he's just, it's a series of essays where he's just kind of looking at, um, the current, uh, world, uh, and wondering if in the future we'll think about it differently than was actually true or the way we perceive it now. And so my favorite essay in there is he's talking about, uh, he's trying to figure out the criteria to determine about in the future. I, th- I forget the exact number, but uh 300 years from now or a thousand years from now when people look back at rock and roll in the way that uh when we now look back at marching band music uh it's almost completely linked with susa um will there be a rock and roll band or artist that we look back on and he you know goes through the obvious ones of the stones and the beatles and and he ends up with at a pretty interesting uh spot uh, that i won't give away but uh yeah, it's it's a good read. It's a quick read, um, and if so, if yeah, if you just like thinking about uh, seemingly uh, unimportant things in really insightful ways, then you're gonna love Klosterman. Um, another thing I'd like to uh, recommend is something that I posted about on Instagram. Um, I was really impressed with Tyler Childers. Uh, new album, Long History of Violence, um, for many reasons. The most important of which is that he, as a white rural man with a platform now, as a famous country music uh, singer, is he, he's taking that platform very seriously, and and know and knows he's an outsider in situations like the Bre- uh, the Breonna Taylor case in his own home state in Kentucky, um, with the Black Lives Matter movement. And instead of butting up against that, he's 
he's listening and he's observing um, and he's showing a lot of compassion. And so this album does that in both its musicianship and in its um, in its actual delivery. Um, he released, I recommend everyone watch this like six minute long video of Tyler Childers talking um, about his decision to release this album, about what the title track Long Violent History is about, um, and about, and it's also a call for white rural Americans to be better listeners to the, uh, to the black and, uh, people of color experience. Um, and I totally echo that. I totally, that totally makes sense to me as something that we need to continue to do. Um, stop having these reactionary opinions to what's happening and to, and just listen to the, uh, to the journey of the people that it that the experience is happening to. Um, and then as far as music goes, it's a really interesting album for Tyler because it it's eight uh, fiddle tracks that are him playing the fiddle, something he's been honing over the last several years, um, and then ending with this uh, long violent history song um, that speaks to a lot of the racial injustice and... Uh, racial uh reckoning that we're that we're experiencing right now and so i commend tyler for that and i just i also just think it's a very important album for a lot of reasons that we should really consider um what's going on there um another i would like to uh recommend a the wind, uh, the windmill tavern up in Windfall. It's a place I've been going a lot in the last six months, watching basketball, um, just getting away for a quick meal. Or it's ten minutes from my house. Um, it's like yeah, like twelve, thirteen minutes from Elwood, um, up in the t- tiny town of Windfall. Um, and just the vibe in there is always good. Uh, they have great hours and gr- great selection. But um, you know, I was convinced to recommend them and continue to spread the word i was in there uh i had a bad night last night uh socially and i i didn't feel like or i'm sorry i had a bad night emotionally and psychologically and i didn't feel like being social uh, with my friends and my family but i just i wanted to watch the lakers heat finals game and i knew they would be open late so i went up there uh and and watched the game and Everyone there seemed to know each other, and they and they kept trying. They were including me with jokes and including me, and coming over and introducing themselves. Um, and the bartenders are all, always introduce themselves if there's someone I don't know. And um, I was just yeah. So I've just been really impressed. Uh, it seems like a really good example of a tavern in a small town that represents the positive small town values and vibes. Um, so if you're in the area, you should head up there. Um, I also want to recommend Poetry Magazine. A lot of people ask me about um, what, like, oh, I'm just so intimidated by poetry. Don't know where to start. Don't know what to do. And I, my argument for poetry is that it's such a un, it presents such a unique and varied and, like, expansive way of thinking um, and using and and using 
language. So just having it regularly in your life, whether you read a poem a day or whatever, is just such a is such a crucial, I think, uh, growing opportunity. Um, yeah, to be presented with really fresh and really, uh, uh, you know, frontline innovations in thinking. And so Poetry Magazine, for, if you know anything about poetry, it's, I'm not breaking ground and saying that it's like a very important, influential magazine, but what I think is so great is I, they, you know, this new issue, this October issue had um, a, a subscription voucher that was 20, it's 20 bucks for 11 issues. So you're getting less than two bucks an issue and they're really nice. Uh, they're not giant issues. You know, this one's like less than a hundred pages or around a hundred pages, less than a hundred pages of poems. And, you know, you're getting people that have never been published in the magazine before. You're getting, uh, spotlights on really influential people. Um, and you're getting some of my favorite poets popping up and, so, I just think it's a really good way to... What I've been doing with this issue is just reading five poems a day out of it. Um, and so, I've just been spending like a week with it. Um, and that's been a really... Yeah, just... just as, If you're interested in what's happening in contemporary poetry, uh, the, the best place to start, I would say, would be just uh, getting a subscription to Poetry Magazine or asking your local library to do the same. Um... Yeah. Uh, yeah, another, I want to also, I've been really loving following Our Native Daughters, the band, uh, with Rhiannon Giddens and, uh, three other, uh, wonderful musicians, uh, work, and it's kind of like a super group. They all ha have had pretty good, uh, careers in the, in, uh, they're all black artists who've had a, uh, in the folk Americana country scene have had good careers, but they released an album, I believe it was last year, that just really um, broke new ground for all of them in the way their voices and their instruments can meld. Um, and But on, they've been posting on their video these kind of Zoom uh, live performances they've been doing for various festivals and different outlets and whatever. Um, and yeah, they, they just did another one that is just seeing all four of them, uh, there, uh, and the, and getting the kind of, it feels like you get to peek behind the curtain, seeing how their voices all kind of meld. And, uh, when the instrument different, you can see the instruments coming in and out. You can, the visual of it is just really cool in that little four, uh, square block. Um, so I would definitely follow Our Native Daughters on Instagram, uh, and then also check out their album, I believe it was self-titled. Um, yeah, a couple other quick ones. Um, if you're in Elwood and you're looking for a gym, I can't recommend Power Barn enough. Ricky Payne and, uh, Jordan Overdorf have been working on this outside of Ricky's house. It's this barn that's been turned into a business. Um, they start packing it with workout equipment and it's a 24 hour affordable, it's $20 a month affordable gym, um, that I've, you know, I used to lift all the time when I was in college, had some shoulder injuries, got lazy, started drinking beer, 
all that good stuff. And I, it's time to get rid of this beer gut. And I've already lost five pounds in, uh, in about a month. Going there uh, three days a week, getting my lift on. And it's just a really great space. When the weather's nice, like today, we had the barn door up. And, you know, just the fresh air coming in and the sunlight. And it's just, it's such a remarkable thing. And Ricky's going to someone that I really want to have on this podcast to talk about his efforts in, in uh, getting this town fit. And so I appreciate Power Barn, and I think you would too if, you, if you're looking for a gym. Uh, last thing real quick uh, is a podcast that I've been getting to this week, actually. Um, I just saw that Chris Gethard has been having this podcast for quite a while now called Beautiful Anonymous. And he will post a phone number, and you can call in, and you just have a have an hour-long conversation with with Chris, um, a pretty candid, uh, you know, Chris isn't a therapist, but he's a comedian and a writer and a very large-hearted guy, clearly, and so he just is curious and asks questions, and, you know, what the work I'm trying to do with this podcast is similar, where I, I want us to honor conversation as a growing mechanism, the importance of telling our own stories and the importance of interacting with other people's stories and the, and the importance of staying curious about other people's lives. Um, so if you're into that, uh, Beautiful Anonymous is a great, it's a great thing to listen to. All right. Um, if you ever uh, listen to or read anything, that you think I should know about, uh, be sure to send me a message. And same way, if you check out any of these and like these, please, uh, on the Anchor page, you can leave a voice message and let us let me know what uh, you checked out and what you thought. All right, thank you. For this episode's uh, A Wilkie Moment, I want to read a short excerpt from Wilkie's um, essay called The Faith That Is America, which was printed uh, in the Reader's Digest in December of 1939. Um, Yeah, so this is from The Faith That Is America by Wendell Wilkie. For me, as for many other Americans, the value of freedom has had a practical demonstration Freedom means for us not only a theoretical ideal, but definite practical rights. Freedom means that if you run a store, you can sell your products to anybody without a government official telling you what the prices must be. It means that if you are a professor in a university, you don't have to alter science or delete history as a bureaucrat prescribes. If you own a newspaper, you don't limit your editorial opinions to what an official censor approves. If you are a laborer, you can leave your job when you feel so inclined for any other job you prefer. You can join a union or not as you please. You can bargain collectively with your fellow workers on the conditions of your work. If you think that taxes are too high, you can vote against those officials you think responsible. And there is no limitation upon your inherent American right to criticize anybody, anywhere, at any time. 
These instances are taken at random to indicate the practical application of this thing called freedom. In this country, we take it for granted, perhaps too much for granted, but in more than half the world, freedom does not exist. The present conflict in Europe is perilous to this freedom because in a modern war, people destroy the very things they say they are fighting for. It is because we wish to preserve our free democratic system that we must remain at peace. But we cannot remain carelessly at peace. If the price of democracy in ordinary times is eternal vigilance, in a war period that vigilance must be doubled. We must be careful that, under the guise of emergency, the powers of government are not so extended as to impair the vitality of free enterprise and choke off free expression of thought. Those who want the government to run America and make up the minds of the American people are already taking advantage of the growing war psychology. Already we hear of the need for the government to control prices, to license American business, to regiment American employees and employers to censor the radio. In a critical time, there is always a temptation to surrender the responsibilities of a free citizen, to say to the government, during the emergency, this emergency, you take charge. You tell us what to do, what to think. You fix prices and production, control the press and the radio. But if we should yield to this temptation, the end of our free democratic system might come as re uh, readily in peace as in war. Once these responsibilities of censorship are given up, they are not readily returned. Government, after all, in its practical working, consists only of aggregations of men. And men, having tasted power or having found a means by which to put their social theories into effect, do not easily surrender power. We must not be misled because suggested restrictions are for humanitarian purposes. For, as ex-Justice Louis D. Brandeis recently said, Experience should teach us to be most on our guard to protect liberty when the government's purposes are beneficent. The greatest dangers to liberty lurk in insidious encroachment by mean of zeal, well-meaning, but without understanding. So here in Glitching, it's my goal to model some rational thinking that I've been working really hard to do uh, in my own life. Um, and with the kind of cacophony of division and um, bipartisanship or partisanship um, and kind of fighting between Trump supporters and Biden supporters and everyone in between, um, I want to take a step back and just look at some of the basic ways I look at candidates and the way I make my decision on who I'd like to vote for. Um, and I'm doing this kind of also in honor of, so the next three episodes will be with um, di three different folks from Elwood who are, and talking to them about their choices um, in the upcoming election and their support of certain candidates and why and how they make those choices. Um, so th I think those would be some really uh, useful uh, enlightening conversations. Um, but for this, for glitching, I just, my big question that's been chasing me since Trump started his uh, campaign and um, his 
in my in 2015, really 2014, 2015, I guess, um, was should the basic prerequisite for being president not be being a decent person? Um, and so the way I think about this is something I asked myself a lot in 16 among his clear bullying, his the pussy grabbing comments, all these things that to me signaled that this is a person that lacked some basic decency and some basic um, professionalism and some basic uh, core values that I hold. Um, and I'm asking again now, and so I took it to social media recently to kind of pose this question. Um, does uh, Kind of with Trump supporters, like, is your first instinct when looking at a candidate not, is this a good person? And so I wanted to kind of unpack my thoughts on that and argument. And so many agreed with me, like, yes, that's what well, that's when I was out on Trump. He um, he's clearly wasn't a good person. And that was a similar thing with me. Um, this is not the kind of person I want in in the White House. But others said that others surprisingly said so many people admitted to not liking him, but would be voting for him because of some other reason. Um him being a good businessman, I'm putting air quotes around that. Um, him, uh, you know, telling it like it is, or this draining the swamp thing, or there's all these other reasons uh, that took precedent for these folks, um, and that was just kind of baffling to me, because my argument would be, it's a rare occasion that we get to choose who we're in relationship with, it be it them being our boss, our leader. Our partner, we get a few of those choices in our life. Um, and so when I'm going through those choices, my it makes logical sense to me that the first step is, are they a good person? And if the answer is yes, we can move on to the other criteria. We can move on to other observations and experiences and giving them um, more of a chance. If the answer is no, I move on to other candidates. It's just as simple as that. Um, you can call me naive, uh, maybe I am, but that is where my, that's where my logic takes me. Um, so, and this is how I kind of explained it to someone, uh, that I used to work with, uh, I actually used to work under, it was a teacher who, I was her teacher's assistant, and I explained to her like this, where when I got the job at the school, the principal gave me the option, like, here are a couple people you might work with. And this is the first person I want you to consider. And so they took me to this person. I I got to talk to her, uh, see her classroom. Um, I, I also got to ask other teachers in the school about this teacher. Uh, and, and just kind of get a perception of, is this a good person? And in my head, I was like, yes. Uh, this is a good person. She she seems kind. She seems respectful. She seems honest. Um, and so then, and so then, um, so then I accepted. And so we we moved on from. The, and I got to see um, how she actually behaved in the classroom. How she worked with the students. How she worked with me as a co teacher. And then um, the next year, I got to make the choice: should I continue? To work with this person, knowing what I know now, the idea of her being a good person, uh, that was um, solidified. 
in my mind. And then all these extra things, um, these policy things, for lack of a better term, uh, in relationship to the presidency, uh, worked out. And so I, so I wanted to honor that, and I, I worked with her for another year until I moved to Texas. Um, and so, because to me, above all else, I want to surround myself with people of integrity, uh, honest people, compassionate people, kind people, respectful people. Um, and, and so all these Trump supporters are saying, I know he's nasty. I know he's, he lies all the time. And then, but they're still going to vote for him. And then, so that's what's confusing. It's still baffling to me um, because I know Joe Biden has his problems, but, but at the core of things, I see Joe Biden as a, as holding those core values. Um, sure. He's a politician. Sure. He's, uh, He's messed around, but we have two choices. Uh, he's he's messed up and messed around in his positions, but all right, yeah. His the core of it is there. Um, and so I'm looking at that versus Trump, and I'm like, is this a good person? I believe Joe Biden is. It's clear Trump isn't. So I'm I'm going to look further into. Uh, the other values and policies and concerns with Biden. And that's where I'm putting my energy. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, this isn't really me telling anyone how to think or how to vote. It's me wondering about the way the the kind of hierarchical uh, steps we take in making decisions. And so, yeah, for me, base level in terms of having some sort of relationship with a person, I'm asking myself, first and foremost, is this person a good person? And if the answer is no, I'm moving on. Um, and that, um, I would love people's feedback on that um, and kind of uh, your own thought processes if you'd like to uh, leave a voice message. Thank you for listening. The White Road by Naomi Shihab Nye. I can't even count how many of my own feet walk the white stone road today, as if the feet of past years tramped alongside and the future feet, anchors already forming in the sea of blood accompanied. Why should such a simple sadness well up like a crowd? Now I've even forgotten whose sadness it was to begin with. Maybe it belongs to the nun who waits for the 6 a.m. bus, whose headscarf is white and always tied. Maybe she feels lighter today, having dropped it. Or the man at the state hospital who kept singing, These are a few of my favorite things, though his cigarette trembled and he wore pajamas in the afternoon. These stones have smooth backs. They could be praying or sleeping. I could be anyone else, researching sadness, finding out how it adheres to the world, bubbling and thickening, flower and broth. How women who have lost children sometimes feel like women who have lost homes and fires, or men in their fifties who feel the day shrinking in front of them, sometimes weep for a neighbor boy's dog. <laughs>